and ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very thankful for the life we have together. We're thankful for these friendships. We'd ask that you would build us up in your body, through the word, in your son's name, amen. Um, my aunt, last night, Peter Escalante and I were talking about New Old Testament quotations in the New Testament, and we were, I was looking around at various ones, and for whatever reason. So this morning when I got up, I was doing the same thing, trying to figure out what. And I, I, I in Romans 3, there's this combination quotation where Paul is arguing for the sinfulness of all men, Jew and Gentile alike. So he quotes a series of psalm references. And I was going back and looking at each one of them. And Psalm 10 stuck out at me. It was a couple lines uh, down where um, verse 7, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. That's quoted in Romans 3. But as I looked at the, as I looked at the, um, um, uh, uh, the whole psalm, it, it spread itself out a little bit more. You know, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about the wicked, and uh, I think I mentioned to you that I, our last hotel in Italy was at uh, Agrippina's summer villa. Did I mention that? Well, as I sat in the, on the terrace, smoking, jotting down notes, I was thinking about wickedness, obviously, Agrippina. So this has been on my mind. Uh, and the first verse, Why dost thou stand afar off, O Lord? Why dost thou hide, thou hide thyself in times of trouble? That's precisely the theodicy question. Why does God let this happen? Why does he stand off? Why does he omit to do something? Now, what we don't often do is actually then stop to reason what that question brings in front of us. Uh, very few people, they, they just say, this makes me feel wronged. I am wronged by God because I was wronged by the world and nothing that was done to the world for having wronged me so God is also wronging me. I want I, I, I warn you about such trend in thought. When you're always the victim, and even where God is victimizing you, um, maybe you're up to something. So just be leery of yourself. But what happens, once you step into this question, and we're not going to address the question fully and philosophically, but we want to look at it, how it goes through this psalm, I want you to notice something that is common when you have the circumstance you have. Let's say, let's say you had a holy and righteous and loving God who in the creation made a world that he could be holy toward and love toward. And that when they didn't do the same back because they were autonomous, they did that which was wrong. He had to be just, but he wanted to be merciful and he was patient in his mercies long-suffering, and always tended to forgive. In other words, we, the story we tell of our God 
is one that makes perfectly good sense with the, the, the facts on the ground. But the same facts for the person who is, in verse 2, in arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes which they have devised, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his heart. And the man greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his countenance, the wicked does not seek him. And all his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Thy judgments are on high, out of sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He thinks in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. What goes on? He's a bad man. He's a bad man that the very nature of God's patience carves out a circumstance for the bad man. Because if you have a God who made an autonomous agent, a person who could choose according to what they wanted, and the, the autonomous agent did that which was wrong, and God said, I, I, I'm going to punish him, but I'm going to be patient with him first. I'm going to give him opportunity. I'm going to send him my prophets. I'm going to send him my son. He's going to die. For, I'm, going to go, I'm, going to go, I'm going to go the whole nine yards for this patience and this mercy. That storyline... is unseen. Like it says in verse 5, thy judgments are on high, out of his sight. Because what mercy also trains a man who is in love with himself to be and do, is to be more in love with himself, and more um, engaged in serving his own arrogance, his own desires, his own pride. And all of his thoughts are, there is no God. Because the God is patient, there is no God. Because the God is merciful, there is no God. One of the things I was thinking of as I sat on Agrippina's terrace, I um, um, realized that if someone rejects God being the judge of the wicked, that leaves them either with no wickedness in the world or they are the judge of the wicked the human who disapproves of what other people do. And so I wanted to ask someone, well, if you were given all power, what would you do about all this wickedness? Because all this wickedness in the world is something God is somehow flawed for not having dealt with right now. And you find, as soon as the people decide to be draconian, they haven't really applied that. They haven't really said, you know, as soon as someone sins they should be destroyed. Right now. Just a lightning bolt from heaven. Every human being that sins. And so one day you're out there doing dishes in your kitchen, looking out your window like in a commercial, you know, for Dove or something. And there's little Johnny, the pride joy of the family, running towards the swing set as he thinks what wickedness he's going to do to his sister and a lightning bolt comes down from heaven and destroys your family. He said, hold, hold it, I didn't want that. I don't want my stuff hurt. I want to get away with sin, with my things. 
They don't know how they would be a good God. They accuse God of being a bad God when he is a merciful and patient God. Well, what would you do if you had all power and you were disapproving of other people? Would you give them any warnings? Would you extend any mercy? How long? What kind of mercy? How good would you be? Remember, your objection to the world is that goodness is not represented by God and the men he should be judging. Obviously, there's one exception to that, of course, it's you. You are good. Or the standards you live by are good. As long as you are doing them. Because if the standards you live by were ever done to you, they would not be good anymore. But this is the nature of the arrogance. This is the, the vacuum into which man's arrogance steps. God is not doing something because he's good and because he's just. He's not infinitely patient, by the way, because that would be unjust. You can wait for little Johnny when you say, Johnny, come here. And Johnny looks at you, looks at the swing set, looks at the heavens, looks at the swing set, looks at you, and you say, Johnny, I'm going to tell you one more time. What's that? It? That is patience. That's not the, the wrath of the hairy thunderer coming down on Johnny right now because he didn't do it right now. We know what it is to extend patience. Your mothers out there who have small children, you say to yourself, your, your, your kid is fussy. Oh, they're just tired. Oh, they're hungry. We have ways of explaining our patience. We understand. We understand their weakness. God understands our weakness and is patient. But at some point, he has just said, you know, you're going to be dead at some point, and that'll be good. Because your death is a nice, tidy way for me to decide when to judge you. But I gave you, you know, years. Years to check things out, look around at things, figure out whether or not the Holy Bible was the Word of God. When we have that on high judgment standing there, out of sight, the patience of God is not ticking off, you know, uh, do you hate those pretentious people with the doomsday clock? It's always two minutes to midnight. We get back in the Cold War, they're big on how close are we to a nuclear annihilation, and they always, it was never 20 minutes to midnight. It was always a minute and a half. And if the president does something wrong, it's going to be one minute. God forbid. That's a, a bit of a direct... This is actually making... I once thought of making an apartment building, a type of apartment building, cast out of concrete, but with nice Egyptian things in the cast, so that you have a nice quality apartment. And then a little meter readout in the back wall that would be gauged to the dollar amount for the kilowatt hours. Okay? So they turn a light switch on, these college students, and it would start speeding up, ticking off cents. So they could see what their bill is going to be in the utility department all the time. What if you had a meter like that in your moral circumstance? It floated over everybody's head, a little meter, you know, some guy running across campus in the springtime runs past a sorority and it goes <clears throat> pegging out because of all the women in no clothes. 
The sinfulness of or a woman looking at jewelry and coveting, because they do. I want that. Your meter always going off. Your meter always letting you know how wicked you are. But no, you're supposed to not have that Damoclean charge above your head ready to fall on you. You're, you're just given freedom. You're given real freedom. And God said, I'm, I'll wait. I'm standing here. I'll wait. Out of sight, his judgment of you is on high, not right above your head. Now what are you going to do? You start to think in your heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. When the wicked uh, get adversity, They are proud in that. They puff at them, all their, their foes beat them, it says. Because they know that really, with no standard of righteousness or wickedness, if you knew there wasn't, what was it? I never watched this show called 24. Uh, did anybody watch 24? Now, the basic, from what I gather from social. Uh, interaction with those who had watched it. There was a satisfying quality that, what's his name, Jack Bauer, would do just about anything. Maybe not just about, he would do anything to stop the terrorists. And it sort of satisfied you, didn't it? Because there's usually some screaming liberal on the side going, you can't, you're not allowed to do that. Oh, I'm going to do it. Not just waterboard them. Real torture. That's what, how quickly do we get to that? How quickly, when it's your child being taken by MS-13 and going to be sold into white slavery in Libya, who are you going to torture and are you going to have any kind of views about the United Nations or anything else? No, you're going to probably torture them. To find out. That's what we get when we're all by ourselves in this world. When we have no guide. We suddenly remember the people at the UN. I don't care about them. We suddenly go, is there a God? I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to follow my wants. Dub yourself righteous because it's your child. And your child should never be hurt. If it's somebody else's child, they should not be allowed to torture anybody. If it's my child, I should be allowed to torture the Pope. I shall not be moved. And the verse that is quoted in Romans 3, verse 7, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. I, I looked at that and said, is this sort of a blah list of cursing, deceit, and oppression? Ugh. Come on, something exciting like, um, I don't know, serial murder. Cursing. And moms are leaning towards their children going, see, I told you about cursing. It's not, the word's not cussing. The word is cursing. 
Have you ever been in that discussion with somebody who said, wow, you know, I, I think the reason, you know, cussing is wrong is because you're, you're taking it in vain and not very seriously and you're using things, phrases like, God damn it, casually. Christians should only curse seriously. That's these guys' problem. They're cursing people seriously. If you mean it, it doesn't make it okay. You just might be a bastard cursing others. I've seen people with road rage. Someone who really doesn't like it when you drive that way or walk that way, pedestrian's case, and they will get out and scream invectives at you. I hope I'm not describing any of you. I hope it's only happened to you. They mean every word. They'd like to see your head on a pike. Their mouth is filled with it. Because not only out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, you know, we're not just saying that wicked men say wicked things, but boy, it's really hard being God of the universe. And I hope you figure that out. You know, when you're God of the universe and you're driving to Wingo and someone cuts you off and he's Asian or elderly or goes to Christ Church, you have got to unload on them. Because you've got the task of running your universe. Right there, besetting you all the time. Because there is, you, you said earlier, there is no God, but boy, I've got some work to do about how I want things to be. Because my arrogance, my boasting, my pride, my intentions need to be arrived at. And you, I don't like having to drive defensively because you're Asian. And that means, oh, you know what kind of God you are in policing the universe? Not a patient one. Even when we are called to patience. Remember, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. That means when you feel like you might have some obligation to deal with some situation. Notice how quickly we become draconian? Absolute tyrants. Just over a driving infraction. Boy, you might want to say, Lord, dear Lord, make all the policemen in regards to my offenses exactly like I am. That's all you have to say. I want them to treat all my offenses in the ticketing department and the fines attached thereunto. Exactly how I feel I wish I could do to every man for what he does done in his driving. We, we, when we become arrogant, we become sloppy, immoral, awful human beings. Just in the cursing department. And deceit and oppression, obviously, I have to deceive people because if they lived on the basis of the truth, I would not get my way. I have to lie to them. I have to lie to them effectively. I have to lie to them morning, noon, and night. Not only does cursing come out of your mouth naturally, because you've got to run the world. You've got to deceive the world. So you've got to be lying in between your curses. And when the lying 
and the cursing is ineffective, what do you have left but punching them in the face? You gotta really hurt them. You gotta oppress them. Because when there is no God in your universe, boy, that made you feel high, wide, and handsome at that moment. You finally said, I, I can have this the way I want it. But there is no God whose judgments are on high and being out of sight. You're left running this thing and you uh, are not really good at it. And you really, you could never be trusted with omnipotence. You couldn't even be trusted with omnipotence even if you were given omniscience. You could know everybody's heart. Because lightning bolts would be falling on everyone all the time. If you could just push that button. I never, I never watched those movies, Evan Almighty or Bruce Almighty, waiting for Wilson Almighty. But that basically, at least with Bruce Almighty, it was, what do you do when you're faced with the wisdom that God has to have regarding all men? I think uh, Jim Carrey, who's not the wisest man I ever heard of, just starts granting everybody everything they want because that's the simplest. They pray for it, give it to them. We don't realize that we fall back on cursing, deceit, oppression, mischief, and iniquity. And not only do I have to be sudden in my pronouncements of damnation on everyone. You might want to ask yourself, I, I have no idea, I've talked to you privately in social situations, each one of you, sometime at some place or other. So I have no idea, because I know I'm a vicar, member of the clergy. And it's like there's grandmothers, and then there's the clergy, neither of whom you swear in front of. Seriously or not? No one ever says to me, God damn it, Evan. They never say to it. They never, they never get there. I've heard it from a distance in the Navy. It's hard for me to maybe relate to it, but uh, we know we're a, we got these... This, this thing handed up to us, what a great opportunity, what a roll of the dice. I'm so fortunate, free country, I've got ten bucks, I can go do what I want to do. But boy, oppression, deceit, and cursing just doesn't take care of everything. I really got to get into the world and surprise the heck out of them. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. Now, he's not really talking probably about actual murder. Might be included in this. His eyes stealthily watch for the hapless. What a great word hapless is. It occurs three times in this psalm. I noticed it as I was going through. He kept saying hapless. So I looked it up. The word is the unfortunate. It's a good, I like hapless better. It says the same thing. It occurs three times, that word, in this psalm. 
This is the only time in the Old Testament that word is used. And all three times, it's in the psalm. The hapless. Because, you know, when you're a cursing, deceitful, oppressive, mischief-making, ambushing son of a gun, you got to have victims. Because you're, you're demanding their lives turn and face you like you never turned to face God, because that was what an autonomous, loving soul with a God up there who has given you heaven and earth, and he always wanted you to face him, and you're expecting all the hapless to become your serfs and your peasants. Unfortunates. You, perhaps, remember you're high, wide, and handsome, and you think you're God, and your curses are almost poetic. Your powers are notable, and God never shows up and smacks you upside the head. So much so that the local clergyman looks over at your life and goes, why, is the, why isn't God judging that guy? Why isn't he just lightning bolt striking him right now? He lurks in secret like a lion in his covert. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The hapless, again, is crushed. Sinks down, falls by his might, and listen to him just like the fortunate, cursing, deceitful bastard who's oppressing him. He doubts God. He says, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. It's almost as if you've got atheism being engendered by both the calamity and the success. The victims of the wickedness. And the, what do you think the theodicy argument is present in the world for? It's to create atheists out of people who are the victims. Or care for the victims. You got the fortunate who are atheists already because God hasn't punished them right now. And everybody else noticing God hasn't punished them right now. That's not how we would run the universe. And so we set it as a stumbling block. And we stumble over it. And we're not righteous either way. Just because you're hapless doesn't make you good. It just means you lack power, skill, and cursing. He thinks in his heart God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Our own God. Remember, the self is your first loyalty. Naturally, you came out of the chute wanting to eat and wanting to be fed and wanting your diaper changed. And Lord knows that larger woman over on the corner who always seems to come in and pick you up and say nice things to you, she should probably do it. So I should scream when she's not in the room. Because I don't want to be left alone we learn how quickly we want servants, how much we want things done. And when things don't get done for you and you end up the hapless, parents who don't love you, friends, siblings, 
don't care for you. You're still a god to yourself, but you're a pessimistic god. Nothing right's going to happen to me. So I think I'll sit around and think about me. I'm the only one who cares. He doesn't tell you like the modern tells you to. Why don't you get some better self-esteem, oh hapless one? You've all got, you know, talents. Go out for American Idol. You can all do this. You got something to offer. No, you don't. You're an unfortunate born loser. We're not to be thinking of our, we're not trying to turn the hapless into Chet, the, the oppressive frat boy who, who wants to push everybody down a flight of stairs, because that's what's going to happen to you if you go from self-attention that is pessimistic to self-attention that is optimistic. The world had better get out of your way if you're optimistic. I could do everything. We see it in politics, we see it in other areas of fame, we see it in ourselves. We're not supposed to think that way. Verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thy hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, Thou wilt not call to account? Why is this happening? The psalmist says, Thou dost see, yea, Thou dost know trouble and vexation, that thou mayest take it into thy hands. Now, I want to remind you of something. I think it was in Job a few weeks ago. Um, Job 35. I want to remind you of it because we know bad things happen. We know we take the bad things to God in prayer for his attention and his judgment. How you approach him. When, when, have you ever complained? Maybe. Maybe once or twice. Whiny, complainy. What's one of the phrases my father always... What did I just do? My father always. He, that's what he would point out about my complaints. Don't say always. They didn't always. Why did you say always? You always do that, Doug. And, or you always do that, Heather. You always do that, Gordon. Mom, Dad, whatever one. Complainers are just awful human beings. But there are prayers who are saying the same thing. But the matter is whether God is Lord of your life or you are Lord of your life. Because when you are Lord of your life, just like in everything else, you're going to be cursing, deceiving, demanding, wanting fortune right now and damning your enemies with lightning bolts right now. And if you don't get stopped right now, it's going to be viewed as always. You always do this, honey. Speaking to your spouse. What's different? Requests, recognize the reason you are coming to that agent for the request to be made. Because they have fulfilled them before. We're just awful human beings if we go to an agent who seems to have met requests before and we're accusing them of always being a certain way. 
as if we're going to leverage them with oppression. Make life difficult. You see kids that try to make life difficult for their parents. Wives that try to make life difficult for their husbands. When you make a request in Job 35, this is Elihu speaking, he said, but none says. Okay, verse 9. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none says, where is God my maker? Well, it doesn't sure they do. Where is God my maker? They say it, but they don't say the rest of the phrase. Who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth? And makes us wiser than the birds of the air? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. When we're evil, when we cry out to God, we accuse him. We complain. It's always, you're always not being there. And when the psalmist is telling you to make this declaration about God, is to keep you from being hapless and to keep you from being the oppressing, cursing liar. He will take it into his hands. The hapless can commit it to thee, but they can't commit it to him with this accusation. Because we're looking for him to meet a request. We're saying, verse 15, Break thou the arm of the wicked and evildoers. Seek out his wickedness till you find none. That's a nice little image. Pursue the wicked until there aren't any to be pursued. In verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Now this is where we, this is where we come in all guidances out of sin. As we lay down our claim that we're going to run our lives. That we are the guide of our ethical being. We are the ethical or the set of feelings that need to be served by the world. The nation shall perish from his land. O Lord, thou wilt hear the desire of the meek. Ever think about the word meek? I haven't looked it up, but, you know, we sort of get the idea. Blessed are the meek. It's that people who are always insistent and demanding. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right? Heard that one? And the problem is they think they're the wheel. That's they always do. The meek goes, maybe I'm not the wheel. Maybe I'm giving the grease. Maybe I'm the one who is ministering to the situation. But the meek aren't insisting on their own way because that's what love doesn't do. It does not insist on its own way. They will, thou wilt strengthen their heart. Thou wilt incline thy ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The man, that was a great description of what we just looked at in the first few verses of this psalm. The man who is of the earth. Wouldn't it be just typically Christian to call, you know, worldly, worldly man, or worldly man. I like the phrase, the man who was of the earth. It, it caused me to remember uh, one of C.S. Lewis's narrative poems, which I really 
like I've probably read it aloud to myself hundreds of times. It's called Lancelot. And uh, he doesn't have a positive view of Lancelot in the poem, but he's telling the story of Lancelot's uh, discovery on the search for the Holy Grail, what, a, what an awful human being he is. Because he has this vision at the end of the poem where a lovely woman with three coffins in a cloister says the three greatest knights of Christendom will lie here. And she lists that he thinks he's on the list, but she lists the names and he's not. And at the end, a very wicked, mentally unstable woman who had a wide and swimming eye also had a cloister with coffins and niches with guillotine blades that would come down and slice the heads off whoever was lying in it. This is C.S. Lewis. It's not Narnia. Um, and she asks her, who are these four? And she says, the three greatest knights of earth. And he's on that list. And she wants to get them into those coffins and cut their heads off so she can hold their heads in her lap and comb their hair until she dies. She's messed up. But it bothers Lancelot enough that when he comes back to Camelot, he has to tell Guinevere, who he's having an affair with, that it ain't going to happen because he's been destroyed by this information. The three greatest knights of earth. And the man of earth, this is what he becomes. He's serving his urge. He's only holding off on draconian necessities because you were obedient. You were sufficiently a serf to him. They will strike terror no more. Bow the knee to God. That's the only hope, because if you give it to yourself, you say, I'll just take charge. My political party, or my, my interests, the worst people you could ever give the sword to in this world is the church. Because they wouldn't even understand why they became so wicked. Some of the greatest times in Christian thinking and theology, say the 1600s, Christians were shooting cannons at each other over church government. And they even admitted that the other was a Christian, but they were Episcopal Christians versus Presbyterian Christians, and Lord knows the only answer to that is a canon. We're not to be trusted. We need to bow to our God and believe that when we say, Lord, why are you not judging the wicked? Because I know that you are good. I know that you will. And I know that you have. We come to him with a request for judging the wicked with a trust in him, not an accusation. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Be merciful to us. Be patient with us. Be patient with all, Lord. We trust that your gospel would gain more with more patience. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.